Hey everyone, you're listening to the Modern People Leader Podcast. In today's episode, we'll be diving into what's top of mind for us right now, where we'll talk about the most timely and relevant topics that are probably on the minds of a lot of people out there in the HR world. Hope you enjoy. Harris, happy Friday. How you doing? Happy Friday. I'm I'm good. I'm excited. Me too. Yeah, we uh we don't we don't often do back-to-back podcasts, but this morning we had back-to-back podcasts and last night when I looked at this in the calendar, I was like, "Oh, like that's going to be tough, especially since it's in the morning, but now that I'm here, I I feel like I've had like 10 cups of coffee. I've only had one, but I get a lot of energy from these calls, so um, well, it's the season of giving, right? So you're giving more to the, to the listeners. So that's probably pretty good. That's a great way of looking at it. And I think that's a, the perfect segue into good news stories. We all go around and we share something either personal or work-related from the past week or two, just to kick the episode off with some positivity. So usually we like to let our, our guests go first. So if you have something, um, feel free to go for it. Yeah, I'm going to share maybe two good news stories. One is a personal one and one is a business one. On the personal one, I have two kids, one four and one two. And I'm super excited to take them to see snow for the first time. We're in in the San Francisco Bay Area and they've never seen snow. And so that should be exciting. And maybe they just might even try skiing or snowboarding. But uh, we'll we'll see how that goes with a four-year-old. On the business side... Uh, last week, we had a people ops manager step into the head of people role for the first time at, at a customer of ours. And in her first week, she had to present her pay strategy and, and comp plan for 2024 to the CEO and the CFO. That's a big job. And kudos to her. She did incredible because she's an incredible. But I was happy that our tool, Candor IQ, played a small part in kind of helping her. So through analytics, she could see how much existing employees were paid, where there was over underpay, and really kind of flesh out a strategy based off budget and company goals as well. She got approval alignment within one single meeting, which is a big deal when you're building a plan for the full year and it's your first Unheard of. job. <laughs> and she sent a little note after just thanking us, and that made my week. That's awesome. It's always great getting those those nice notes from from clients or in our case, even from past guests. So that's that's amazing news. Steven, do you want me to go next? Yeah, go for it. So I think this is going to be the last episode that we publish for the year. So this will go live on Monday. So I think that's December 18th. It'll be the final episode for, for 2023. And I think it's just a perfect way to wrap up the year. This morning, I just shared on LinkedIn like the Spotify wrapped for the podcast and uh, pretty, pretty good growth that I'm, I'm really proud of. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the, the format of, of today's show, which will allow us to do some reflecting. I won't, I won't steal Harris's thunder, but, um, but yeah, last episode of the year. That's the, that's the good news. That's amazing. Let's go. And yeah, if uh, Daniel's glazing over the the Spotify rat, but the the metrics were insane. And it's just it's crazy. It's I I shouldn't be surprised. I know this guys. The show's been out there. We were on the list and we're very fortunate that people reference us on LinkedIn. But to actually see the numbers like and, and see 
120%, growth, like, and, and, and obviously all the metrics vary a little bit, but they are consistently like three digit percentage growth. And that is just like, it still boggles my mind a little bit, but is, is great news. Um, I'm going to go with kind of, it's like hybrid personal and work. And so for those of our listeners that are regular repeat listeners, you'll know that I I sold my company in April. I stayed on for integration purposes as like, you know, interim GM through October. Um, and I decided to take the rest of the year off, take sabbatical. And through through that process, I realized there are a lot of different things I can do, but what's what's number one on my list would be a is a people leader role and for a very specific type of company for a very specific type of CEO and and so come January I'm gonna be I'm off sabbatical I'm gonna be like hitting the ground running and one of the the attributes of what I'm looking for is to 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 launch or transform a people function into what I'll call people operations as a product. So in layman's terms, like a, a more agile way of running a people function. And so I've been obsessed with this book built for people. I have also made the decision geez, about a month ago that I would I was likely to 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 invest in some learning and development. And I I interviewed like with all the best people leader accelerators academies and come to find out that the best fit for me is one that the author of Built for People, Jessica Zvon, she's been on our show, one that she has launched. And so I'm going to be officially kind of signing up for that. I um, know that. Yeah. Yeah. This is like hot, hot. Like I, I met with, with Jessica the day before I left for Singapore and I got back as Harris and I were just chatting last night. So I... Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's, I'm going to go deep on, on agile HR and people operations as a product. And I'm, I'm excited to join that, the, the January cohort. So, so that's my kind of personal hybrid, personal work related good news. Sorry. That was so long. It's okay, Steven. I'm excited for you. I'm glad that you guys take a little bit of a break and then feels like you have a pretty clear vision of, of what's next. So uh, you're going to have a busy 2024 for sure. <laughs> oh yeah. So normally this is where we would dig into your story, Harris, but I know we're going to do things a little bit differently today and you're going to turn it around on, on us for this episode. So, um, yeah. What did you, what did you have in mind? Yeah. I mean like, uh, uh, two, two reasons why I wanted to do that. One is with Candor IQ itself, we're a composition and headcount planning solution, but we've built a platform to solve real world problems. So I thought since you two have both been operators for so long, it might be good to kind of interview you and your and learn about your experiences and tie it back. But also it's at the end of the year, good time for self-reflection. I've been a MPL listener and a fan for over a year. And since I started Candor IQ as well. So I thought selfishly myself and, and many of your listeners would love to hear some of your learnings and a little bit of your journey. So I'm, very excited about that too. Should we? Yes. Should we jump in? Yeah, this is going to be fun. The tables have turned. This is exciting. Indeed, I'm I'm rubbing my fingers. Uh, excited, <laughs> asking to uh, jump jump right in. So, yeah, maybe maybe let's just start at the at the very top, right? So, I came from a product space and engineering space, and I'm building HR tech. 
I know, Stephen, you started your career in in compensation management long time ago, but you've been an entrepreneur. And Daniel, you you've done marketing and marketing leadership roles. So you know, stepped into the HR and people ops space. What made you get in? I I can go first. So if we go all the way back to, I guess my final year of college, I'm trying to figure out like what the hell I want to do with my life. And I thought maybe I want to work for an ad agency. Maybe I want to work for a tech company. And Stephen catches wind of this. As many of our listeners know, Stephen is a bit older than me. I didn't really know him growing up. He's my dad's first cousin. So he reaches out and he's like, hey, like I, I hear you're looking for an internship. Turns out like we're hiring for, for an intern and you'd be doing a little bit of everything. And at the time, I think Workify had like, you know, two or three employees. I was employee number three or four. And I said, yes, I was doing everything from SDR work to QAing the product to client presentations. And that gave me like a pretty decent amount of exposure to to HR leaders. And I just remember feeling like we were making a difference in work if I was an employee feedback platform. So it felt like we were actually giving people a voice. And in some cases, we were working with companies that had 140,000 employees. And before using Workify, they weren't even asking their employees for feedback on a regular basis. So the survey results would roll in. We would tell them like the two or three biggest areas that they could improve on. And then about a month later, we would follow up with another survey, like a shorter one, you know, give us some context, like how can we improve these one or two areas? And we would like literally read through the qualitative feedback. And that's where you'd really find the gold. And I think once they would implement those changes and we'd revisit a year later and it's like, oh, wow, like we made a massive difference in these employees' lives. That's when it clicked in my brain that through HR tech or through HR, you can make a massive difference on on people's lives. And obviously like that was magnified when COVID hit. And that's when I had like a second epiphany that I wanted to double down on the space. So that's 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 how I got into it. I know Steven's story is a bit different. Yeah, my my story is a lot different. And so my story begins, I, I'm pretty sure like the internet was still a fresh thing for companies when I joined uh, the workforce. And so for me, it was, I I am an accidental HR person. I, I, that's how I refer to it. It's it's interesting. The, the other interview we had this morning, the person we interviewed, she was also an accidental HR person and she started her career in consulting. And, and that's where I started my career. And so, you know, 99, I think the tech bubble, the dot-com bubble was bursting and there, there weren't a lot of jobs in tech. Like that's, that was, I, Interestingly enough, I I knew I even all the way back then I knew that I wanted to be involved in startups and tech, but it was the wrong time to be joining that industry. It was all about outsourcing, offshoring, and consulting was all the rage and buzz. And so, as I was graduating from UT with a with an econ major, I I honestly took the best offer I had, and it was I it was for HR consulting, international HR consulting at Ernst and Young. And I'm pretty sure all I saw was consulting and I was like, boom, that's it. That that's the job. And fast forward, that 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 launched what what became a 12-year career in HR, uh, actually doing HR work, which then led to in 2011, me jumping ship 
from Goldman to, to start my entrepreneurial journey. And for me, my entrepreneurial journey has kept me in, in the HR space. I, uh, I first launched a small boutique HR consulting firm because that's what I had known. And I, it was like the easiest thing for me to launch. And it was, it was interesting. I kept getting feedback from, from my, my mentors, other entrepreneurs that I kind of relied on to, to help coach me through what is a really hard journey, as you guys know. And uh, their feedback was like, Stephen, you keep operating this consulting firm like it's a software company, but you're not a software company. But it's so like, what what gives? And and that's when I realized like, oh, I am. I am operating this consulting firm like a software company because that's actually what I, I really want to be doing. And so that the, the key thing that came out of my first business was was really the idea for Workify. And uh, the courage. I, I saw some some initial traction and success in in my first uh, my my first entrepreneurial venture, and that gave me the courage to like get out there and see. Okay, like how can I do a product? And for me, I was fortunate, right place at the right time to find an investor who who took a risk and and cut a check. And uh, you know, the rest is history with Workify. And so for me, when I when I was preparing for this conversation and I was thinking about my journey. I I have stayed in the HR space for 20 years. I and and the reason why is the ability to impact lives. Daniel mentioned it in his story. I think that's that's where our two our two stories kind of intersect. And it might be that it might be that the vision for 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 Workify was really around making work better. Like we spend so much time with with the people we work with more time than we do uh, often the, the people we love. And so I, I just fundamentally believe we deserve to find enjoyment in our work. And I believe that that is something reasonable that everyone should have. And so the flip side of that, the, the outcome is impacting lives and making a difference. And I think there's no better place than HR to do that. Those are some amazing backstories. Thank you, Daniel and Steve, thanks for sharing. I know I enjoyed that. It was good to learn a little bit more. And I'm sure the listeners appreciated that too. I think lots of insights there, but I'll, I'll pull on one thread. So, uh, you know, Stephen, one of the things you mentioned is like the ability to impact lives every day is is what makes it worth it, of course, right? It brings all the joy. But the other thing you mentioned is as an HR person, your job is really complicated and you need software tools like Work Workify had a, had a pretty big and noble mission and still does, right? And so tools and software need to kind of come together. And sometimes when it doesn't work, it has downstream impact, which can be painful. So I wanted to kind of maybe pull on that, understand like, are there examples of when the system didn't work for you all? And, and what was the impact there? You want me to go first yeah. again, Stephen? Sure. Yeah, let's keep, <laughs> let's keep, yeah. So, I mean, there are so, I feel like there's there's been so many times where I've noticed a system that just feels broken but what immediately came to mind is like like a like the performance review process and b like promotions or pay increases like all of that it just feels like a lot of it is left up to to bias and i've been on both ends of it like i've been on the end of it where i've been handed opportunities or been given like a promotion where I look around and one of my colleagues who I think has done an equal amount of work and has brought 
the same amount of goodness the team isn't being recognized. And they're sharing with me that on their performance review, they got like a mediocre score. And I'm like, oh, that's that's bullshit. And I think a big part of that is because similar to Steven, I think I'm good at like selling the the work that I'm doing. So it's like one thing doing the work, but then also advocating for the work that I'm doing and and speaking to that work and talking about like the results. Like, I feel like that's a big part of it. And some people just don't have that in them and they feel like, I don't know, like they don't want to, they don't want to come off as somebody that's, <laughs> that's like bragging about themselves. But then I've also been on that end as well, where I, it feels like I've put in like months and months of, of really hard work and I'm like trying some cutting edge things for, for the team and then to get like underwhelming feedback and not much change in like my my role or my pay can be really deflating. And a lot of times in those cases, like I have a lot of friends the last couple of years that, and, and I've been in the situation where you leave, right? Like you feel like you're not being given the recognition that you deserve. And it's like, maybe it's time for me to 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 look elsewhere. So that's that's what comes to mind for me for for like times where I felt like the system is broken. That, yeah, yeah for that's me, an amazing example. But Stephen, let's uh, what what do you have to say? Yeah, this uh, this was a tough one for me because um, they're yeah having having been in the space for so long, I've seen a lot broken, and I and I will say like the 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 biggest picture thing that I think is still broken or inefficient is the topic of HR having a strategic seat at the table. And and I mentioned that because I remember joining Ernst & Young in 2020 and we or sorry in in 2000 2020 was you know not it was a few years ago in 2000 uh, that that shows how far back I go. And I, I remember we had to get, because I was not a, a CPA. So if you wanted to cr- progress in your career, um, but you, you weren't an accountant, you had to like get certifications and education. And so being in HR, like the, the most logical thing to do is to get like SHRM certified and get like your PHR or your GPHR. And I remember I was like in my second year at Ernst Young and I was uh, working on my my GPHR and there was a whole section about strategic HR and why HR should have a seat at the table and there are case studies and there are like group discussions and uh, in some of the trainings that, that I attended like that we're talking about HR having a seat at the ta- at the C-suite uh, table and I am just kind of it blows my mind that here we are 23, almost 24 years later, and we're still having that same conversation on the show. And uh, I, I shit you not, like this comes up so much, Daniel, you can attest to this. Every single it, episode. I mean, the it, first thing it, that, that Harris mentioned is good news story was a success story, but that's usually not what we're hearing. That, exactly. And so I, I, I just had to like zoom out in big picture. Like I still think that that is something that is, majorly broken. And I I think we really need to ask ourselves, like, why, how do we, how do we get here? How do we get some initial traction in 2000? But yet we're almost a quarter of a century later and 
big picture is it we haven't we failed right in my opinion if we're still having those conversations we failed at the goal of hr having a, a seat at the table and and I, i'm just going to leave it at that because we could have a whole hour long conversation about about that to be more to kind of drill drill in more specifically to kind of i think more recent and uh relevant issues or things that i see that are broken uh it no question about it number one for me is manager and employee relationship. And there was a about a year around two, uh, 2020 to mid-2021, so a little over a year where Daniel can also attest, all I could talk about is how broken this relationship was uh, between the manager and employees. I think that um, this has been an issue. I think COVID and the stay-at-home orders and everyone having to remote work remotely just kind of highlighted how broken this it, this really is. I, I think the the other trend of HR not owning all the work and really empowering the organization as as it should. I think organizations and managers need to own their own part of the people process, but. That acceleration over COVID as we started working more remotely, asynchronously, and more and more things have been pushed to managers, it's exposed that this, this is really, really broken. And there's so many implications and issues. I think a large part of the attrition that we saw, you know, what it what is the the saying is people don't leave jobs, they leave managers. I think that 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 is representative. I'm not saying the great resignation was purely fueled by bad managers out there, but bad managers didn't help the situation. I think that in addition to that, this the constant change that has happened has really created a lot of disruption. And even the change going back to the office, I think has created a lot of disruption for companies. And and I think that managers aren't equipped to handle the dynamic workplace that we that that is working in 2023, 2024. And so that that for me is is definitely that's that's something broken. And I, I touched on attrition and retention. I think the fact that we had this huge period of of growth, like higher grow at all costs, only to then have to rebound, like. I just it, it, I don't understand how companies grew headcount, triple digit growth, only to have to cut 70, 80, 90 percent of that growth less than a year later. Like that that to me seems like something that's majorly broken. Amazing. I think that Stephen, what you and Daniel mentioned kind of encapsulates a lot of the the pain points that I've heard over the last two decades as a as a as an operator myself and managing people and kind of faced it multiple times too. And part of the genesis of Candor IQ. I know we'll, we'll dive into that, but maybe really quickly as well, when the system does work and when things click, um, you know, it's magic, right? Because ultimately it's, it's touching lives, it's touching people. So any examples of uh, when the system did work for you all? I, I have an example that when I saw this question, I immediately thought of, and it was the hiring experience or the hiring process at Humu when I worked at Humu. And I've, I've, I've been through hiring processes where I didn't feel like they were the most efficient or 
maybe weren't as structured as they should be. But when I got to Humu and after going through the process and being on the other side of it, I was blown away. So the founder there, his name is Laszlo Bach, and he was formerly the basically the chief people officer at Google when they went from being like, I don't know, like a, a 500 person company to the company that they are today. And one of their biggest challenges was how do we hire, how do we make sure that we continue to hire the best talent and only bring in the best talent? So he brought a lot of those practices to Humu and it was just so buttoned up. I was... Uh, I, I was involved. I was pretty involved in the hiring process um, for the marketing team. So I, I would be like the, I guess, like peer interview. And then outside of just hiring for my team, there were the culture interviews. And I was also on the culture interview panel. And both of those required trainings that we had to go through. So the fact that like we were all on the same page, we all had the same process, we were all asking the same questions, we eliminated as much bias, I guess, as you can. I mean, there's always going to be some bias, but just seeing how when you have like a really buttoned up hiring process, you truly only bring in the best talent. And it's like very rare that like a, a bad seed makes it through the, the process, but that's that's what comes to mind for me. Yeah, for me, uh, two things come to mind. The first thing is I think that generally speaking, the tech spec, the tech stack, excuse me, has dramatically improved. I I, I think there's still a, a a long way to go when we think about the work tech stack or the HR tech stack. But if you think about where we were in 2014, 2015, when I found when when we launched Workify, back then the the word employee engagement, it wasn't a thing. Like we early and, and with Daniel's help, we we learned to optimize to to that keyword search term, employee engagement. And we were quite successful in doing that back in 20, 2014, 2015, 2016, because it, it was still not, it wasn't something that was front of mind for, for companies. And, and so, and so the fact, and, and the reason why it wasn't really front of mind, I believe one of the reasons is because there just wasn't, there weren't a lot of tools that were practical that you could implement that could help understand that construct of of engagement are employees truly engaged are they not like you know and there was Gallup and there there were some things out there but today the there are so many different tools that touch on various pieces whether it's reward and recognition whether it's engagement measurement and so I, I think and I won't go into every category and every component but you have tools like Candor IQ right? That are that are really pushing the the envelope in terms of innovating with with analytics and insights and AI. I, I think we've come a long way, and I think that's one area where I, I see a lot of progress. I still want to see a lot more progress, right? Because I think we're really scratching the surface when it comes to what is possible with technology in the people space. I think the old school view of oh well that won't work that that technology innovation won't work in HR because HR is too complicated. I feel like that mindset has changed and there, there's still some room for improvement, but I think that's one big one. The second area, I think a system that is that has worked really well or is improving is what I'll call like the 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 basics of the the core 
aspects of HR, whether it be compliance related or tactical. And, and it all comes back to this open sourcing of HR. I think the HR community is a lot more open with information. There was a time where, you know, I worked at Goldman Sachs from 2005 to 2011. And back in those days, you you didn't share HR best practices with anyone else. Those were your like tightly guarded state secrets. And I I feel that, that that's an insular way of thinking. And I, I know Goldman has changed. We've had David Landman on the show and he walked us through some cultural changes that have happened in the people function at, at Goldman. But I think it's not just Goldman. It's a, a, a lot of companies were like that. And I feel like this trend and this 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 wave, this revolution of sorts that I think companies like GitLab and Atlassian were the pioneers of like really open sourcing company policies, company approaches to things like talent acquisition. There are just a lot of things that we wasted a lot of time. And, and I think the fact that it's much easier today to, to, to start a job in, in HR people function and, and, and be able to, to, to hit the ground running. Like it would have been a lot more difficult to do that 10 years ago, just because without the history and experience, you, there, there wasn't a lot for you. And I think right today, there are a lot of communities. There's a lot of, a lot of blogs, a lot of information. There's academies. There's, there's all sorts out there for, for people leaders to, uh, to leverage that make the job easier, at least the core aspects, right? I know there's, I don't want to oversimplify the work we do in the people function, but I think that's something that is working well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I know now, Stephen, Daniel, uh, the two of you have interviewed over a hundred people leaders over the course of the MPL podcast. And so we wanted to learn what are your top takeaways from your conversations over the last year? I'll take this one first um, because I one of the the surprises in our format is the question of like what are the traits and characteristics of of of, of a modern people leader, and what that has given us is a lot of data <laughs> around like okay how do modern people leaders view modern people leaders which is a quite a, a very powerful data set to have. And so I think if I could go back in time and do things differently, and, and this is all centered around the feedback of a modern people leader should be business-minded, should have a business focus first, then a focus on the people strategy. I I would go back and I would I would have I would join, I would, I would identify the companies that have the HR rotational programs in the business. Today, there are a lot more of those than there were in 2000, but I, I would go back because in 2000, they existed. It was like GE, uh, P&G, right? There, were, there weren't a lot, but there were some. And I would go back and I would, I would, I would apply to every single job I could in an HR rotational program, or even I would, I would choose a job in the business that I just to kind of gain experience in the business, maybe just do sales, right? And learn sales because that is the number one thing 
that we hear that is the most important for a modern people leader is to have that business focus and and ability to be business minded. So that's one thing that if I could go back in time that I would do differently is I would deeply insert myself into the business or find the best rotational HR program that would place me in various aspects of the business. Um, the second thing is I would have I would go back and jump on the agile HR train. I would have done that sooner. Like obviously if you follow my LinkedIn page, if you listen to to our episodes, you'll know that like this is something or even my good news today, right? This is something that I'm like super, super passionate about. And so I that that is the thing that that I would go back because I, I think there was a time where I would I there weren't there wasn't enough practical examples that um that like felt real enough to like buy into this different way of doing things. And I think today we have that. After interviewing all these leaders, like there's so many examples of people successfully implementing Agile HR. So that was uh, great examples. I mean, I, I myself wrote down a lot of notes from our conversations, gang. One is HR wants to be more strategic. They're multifunctional and multifaceted and kind of need, really need to speak the language of, of business, right? The other one is data can and, and software can make different HR use cases more continuous versus once a year or twice a year and, and make everyone's voice be heard, not just the loudest voice. Um, and I think empowering managers is, is kind of really key to long-term success of HR. And I felt a lot of those things myself as an operator in my last roles, I managed teams of hundred plus people in engineering and, and product. And the more people I managed, my, my job also became a lot more spreadsheet and I, I developed an immense amount of empathy for the work that HR was doing, right? Ultimately, just like my HR counterparts, I wanted to hire the best talent. I wanted to retain the best talent. I wanted to incentivize and motivate them and create a great culture and environment for them to succeed. But I was just spending more and more time managing compensation and headcount and spreadsheets. And so were my HR and finance counterparts. And I used a number of different tools. Some of them gave me benchmarking data or some of them recreated comp workflows like merit cycle in spreadsheets so in the cloud. And it, so it still took us months to do those things. And I became frustrated having to do that in multiple roles as a, a head of product and engineering. And so I decided to start Cantor IQ. I know I've asked you a lot of questions, so I uh, would love to pass the baton back to you. Yeah, I mean, I have I have a ton of questions about your story. So talk to us about your time as as a product leader. Like how far does that go back and what are some of the different companies you've worked for? Yeah, so I, I've been a, a product engineering leader for almost 15 years and I had a career in, in finance and other roles, which we don't need to get into, but I've been in tech for 15 plus years and I've worked at uh, startups that are series A, uh, to giant companies like Salesforce, uh, to HR tech companies like Checker and, and Blend, which went public about two years ago. So kind of the spectrum of of uh, tech. And and would you say that, uh, I guess, Stephen's thoughts on how people teams need to be more product focused, like as a former product leader, is that something that you also noticed or... Uh, I, I'm just curious, like, do, does, does any of that resonate with you? Yeah, uh, one, 100%. I, I would say uh, uh, more so that it's 
the products need to work for the people team versus the other way around. A lot of the products out there, they're doing bits and pieces and you have to stitch like 10 different things together to get an answer. Or you you go in the product, you get your you know comp data or your performance information, and then you still have to do, do the all the analysis. A lot of the systems, especially the earlier generations of them, were just recreating spreadsheets or on, on-premise software in the browser, right? They're not giving people team any superpowers whatsoever. So people team, people ops have to do all that work manually. And I think that was one of the downsides and one of the, the reasons why I think over the last decade, HR has struggled to be strategic is because they have to do so much manual and uh, work. Definitely. And and I guess, what would you say has been the most difficult part of, of uh, being a founder and, and starting your own your own thing with Candor IQ? Yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a I'm a product person, so building product is is easy. Uh, thinking about AI user experiences is easy. S- serving customers, but being in the MPL and 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 selling and this is a, a a really important mission to kind of drive fairness and transparency to everyone. And one of my learnings over the year has been, I need to champion that, and that's part of why I'm here too. I'd say it's like probably the uh, the opposite for us. <laughs> like the the product part, at least for me. Like I know Stephen has experience building products, but when I think about the future of the modern people leader, like that, that's the part that that scares me. Like when we start to build products, so it's interesting to hear that. Um, so I've I've had the benefit of of seeing Candor IQ and the magic of what it does clicked for me when I saw it, and I'm a very visual person, so I'm curious. Like how do you how do you describe to somebody that maybe you're meeting for the first time or maybe a relative that's asking what Candor IQ does? Like, what's the what's the short description of, of what y'all do? Yeah, so what I tell my parents when I'm explaining to them what Candor IQ does, Candor IQ combines software and data to help companies figure out what to pay their people. It's as simple as that. Yeah, that's super simple. I like that. And why should why should me and Steven be jealous that that you get to work there? Uh, that's a that's a great one. So uh, I'll give three answers. I mean, the first one is our mission, right? Uh, we want to drive fairness and transparency for pay for everyone, and this is a really big mission that touches pretty much everyone. It touches every single job in the country and every employer too. Everyone gets wants to get paid fairly. And the second thing is, Stephen, you mentioned this too. It's a really fast-moving space. There's 13 states that have passed laws around pay transparency or are about to. There's a, a few more like Massachusetts that are uh, likely going to get passed in the next year. Uh, the EU is passing laws too. So there's just a ton of regulatory changes uh, around pay transparency, pay reporting. It's not just for candidate offers. It's for employees. It's It's at the company level. And then Lastly, it's AI and and technology hasn't really kind of permeated in this space. And it's I think it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to kind of really come and think about the space and reinvent it for the future of work. So I think those are some of the reasons why. Yeah, I I I I can get behind all of that, everything you just said. And earlier I was I was talking in one of my responses, I mentioned some of the things that we've heard from our guests on the show transparency is is another kind of major trait of a modern people leader i, I got 
I, I don't have the data in front of me, but I got to say it's it's top ten or near top ten uh, of of the most important traits that are are that a modern people leader needs to have. I think that with some of the things that are changing in the world, it's it's not only not only does a modern people leader need to be transparent in in the way he or she operates and the way the people function is is run. But I think the the modern people leader needs to have access and transparency into data and insights. And and so I, I don't think it's enough now to just acknowledge like, oh, transparency is important. Well, and even more specifically, pay transparency is important uh, because it's it's the law in some places. I think that and one of the things I'm hearing is to be prepared for is getting a question of like, here's a problem you have, Stephen. How would you get answers to to this problem? And I think, hey, it, it's a it's a really, really big one. And so I I'm just curious how what are some of the best in class organizations? How are they enabling their managers to to be equipped with information about pay? Something that's been like taboo or at least protected in the past. How are organizations creating this transparency and what does it look like in practice? How are how are these organizations equipping managers to have these uh, conversations with their people? Yeah, that's a that's a uh, great observation. Like a lot of this is getting democratized and decentralized. So uh, HR needs to empower managers to be able to kind of manage a lot of these questions. Otherwise, again, HR will be the one fielding the same answers and not being strategic and to all the things we've talked about earlier. I'll say one, um, there's no one right answer because transparency is a, is a spectrum. So every organization needs to kind of figure out what's right for them and kind of evolve that over time. But the other thing I'll say, at least when it comes to compensation and pay transparency is a lot of folks get it wrong. It's not really about compensation data. It's not about benchmarking data. That's a means to an end, right? What it's really about is every manager should understand the company's budget and pay strategy, what you want to do. Every organization is different, not, not the same, even if you're in the same industry, right? And the second thing is you need to understand that specific employee, where they are, like what's their promotion history, their pay history, like their career path. And then number three, like understand the, the career ladder and all, and like, you know, where the employee can go next, right? Uh, just to kind of give you an example, like many years ago when I was an individual contributor and I, I wanted to go to my manager and ask for a $5,000 raise. And uh, he flipped the script and, you know, uh, instead of talking about that he talked about like hey how i should you know we should work towards a promotion and i was at the cusp of it and we did that and we really had a deeper more meaningful conversation of my performance my pay and my career growth and that that's that was amazing i still remember that story right and i, I took that to heart as i became a, a a leader myself and those are exactly the type of use cases we want to enable through candor iq so managers are not just talking about dollar signs but they're actually talking about the the employee and whether they're happy and how to get them to the next level. What? Yeah, I want to go back to a comment I made about this being taboo. And, and it feels like today, like even today, even with the focus on transparency and people knowing that this is the future, there's still some reluctance, uh, some hesitation. I'm sure there are organizations that are still dragging their feet and don't want to fully go into this kind of new way of operating. But what do you think makes talking about comp so hard? 
for managers and for companies? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's um, because it's it's about talking about someone's you know pay or someone's salary. It's about the do dollar signs, right? So that just makes it difficult and awkward. That's one. Number two, sometimes managers don't understand being able to explain it, like being able to sell equity if you're a tech startup and the and the growth that you get out of it. Or we talked about the the career path and progression there, or how the employees is doing. And so like being able to talk about that overall narrative and being able to explain different types of comp that can, that can be hard. I think those are some of the reasons why, why this is taboo, but I'll also say it's an incredible opportunity to build trust. Like ultimately, right? Like we're building HR software to empower these employees and to build trust between the manager and, and these employees and difficult conversations are a great place to build trust. Right. So in that situation where I went to talk about the $5,000 pay increase, when, you know, instead of it being an awkward conversation, I came out enlightened. Uh, I built an incredible amount of trust with that manager. I knew they had my back. I knew they were thinking about my career, not just in the short term, but in the long term. And that just made me a much better employee. Right. So it's it's flipping the script is what people just need to do and be comfortable with it. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I always try to embrace a transparent approach to the conversations with our employees at, at Workify. It, it's hard, but and it requires a little bit of courage. But I I do think that that that's the way forward. Going again, going back to one of the questions that you asked earlier around like what one of the systems, what are some of the systems that were broken in the past, and one that didn't make the top of my list. Um, that relates to the, the topic of, of pay is um, performance, the dynamic of performance and pay. And, you know, I do think that it was broken. I, have, I haven't been in corporate HR a while, but back in the day, HR, we would do a, a ton of work, like months of work to, to get comp data put together, compiled, analyzed, broken it up, breaking it up into spreadsheets sending managers and divisions and departments their respective spreadsheets, toolkits, talking points for, for addressing that information. And, and that was just the comp side. Then there was like the performance side and there was like months and months of work to collate performance feedback and put together docs and share the docs and not to mention the, all the difficulties around like actually getting uh, managers to engage and, and and peers to engage in the feedback process, and so I'm just curious: what do some of the best in class uh, managers and organizations? What are they doing as it relates to not just comp, but the relation between comp and performance? And what are some, I guess, better ways of managing uh, those processes? Yeah, I think some of the the words that come to mind are continuous. Right. So instead of doing it once a year, like a merit cycle or twice a year, doing it on, uh, at a much higher frequency. The second one is uh, proactive versus reactive. So if an employee is comp complaining about their pay or not getting promoted, it's probably already too late. Right. They're probably one leg out the door and thinking about other opportunities. So really kind of empowering managers and, and HR to know which employees are overpaid and underpaid, right? Like, are they within their pay range? How are they doing versus their peers? Once the last time they got a comp bonus increase or a promotion, 
providing that insight at the employee level, at the team level, at the department level, I think it starts there. So like having the data and the analytics to take action is number one, and then doing it on a more continuous and ongoing basis. So it's it's not too late is number two. And then number three is really kind of tying it all together. So like one of the other things that's I think missing is it is tying that to budget, right? So uh, there's it, it, there is a zero sum game in, the, in this space as well, right? So every department, or every team has budget, especially in the current macroeconomic climate. And so if you're promoting to 10 people, you might as a as the head of engineering have less budget to to hire and you have to make those difficult trade-offs. Right. So providing that level of visibility into what's your overall budget, how are you doing and tracking versus the budget. So you can really think about your workforce in aggregate and make those holistic decisions is key. Uh, I struggle with that as an operator myself. I had to go back to my HR team every single time I'm making a can offer to a new candidate. And if you know someone asks me for an extra ten thousand dollars, one, I had to, you know, say is see. Is that fair versus our the market, but also our pay strategy? Is it fair versus the peers? Where does this candidate, I think, sit versus the existing people? Because it's easy to overpay someone new and to bring them in. And then you create this situation where your existing people who are working hard, who are top performers, are now getting systemically underpaid. You don't want to do that. Like you have to be fair to everyone. And and then like if I if I do stretch out uh, and o- overspend for someone for a specific reason, then it's going to have an impact on someone else. So like how, what, what, what is my budget and what's the impact if I over, if I pay someone more when they're asking. So bringing all of those insights together is, is I think super critical. Love it. Love it. And as I kind of reflect on this topic and in some of the comments I made earlier, I think the great resignation revealed some blind spots right i think there were churn risks that that were real <laughs> that that became churn issues right in terms of keeping your your top talent and and i i don't think organizations and managers were were ready for that i think a lot of a lot of people were caught flat footed and and obviously because there was so much churn churn like we had never seen before so much so that it was branded and so what has changed since then? Are there ways to empower managers to know, to, to better understand the, what are the real churn risks uh, on their teams and the organization? And how can, how can they be more proactive? Uh, uh, absolutely. On churn, there's, there's multiple factors. Obviously, if the employee is, is happy and doing good work and is looked out for, that's really key. If they have a great relationship and trust with their manager, that's key. And, and pay are they being paid fairly and and incentivized fairly and getting promoted like career progression? That's key too, right? So uh, I think of it as an onion, as, as in like the one, one thing you can do is help employees and then help managers and help HR, right? So kind of let's unpack each of those things. So I'll start with the employee one first. Uh, the first thing we can do is help employees understand their total pay. So um, if someone's getting paid, let's say $100,000, $150,000, that's one, only a fraction of their pay, right? Like they might be getting benefits, they might be getting equity, and there's this company is growing and there's equity is a big portion of it. Maybe they're in, in sales or marketing and they're getting bonus or, or, or a variable comp as well. So helping employees understand the total picture 
is super key. If you can make it self-serve, that's even better. I know we provide a total rewards portal for employees and candidates so they can really understand that full picture. I think that's that's important. And then number two, it's giving employee uh, managers uh, line of sight to the same thing. You know, having analytics at the employee team or department level, but also like, understanding where your employees at, being able to see what they see and giving them visibility into the like employees total pay, I think can help a lot, right? Um, so those are some of the ways where you can drive a lot more transparency in in the total package, the total rewards. Number two, you can help the employees understand their pay and help managers explain that, explain pay and, and any questions that come up as well. And ultimately then, uh, hopefully there's a fewer questions for the HR team and they can ha answer the hard questions, not the basic questions of, hey, what's an ISO or NSO or what's a stock option, et cetera. Like they can go deeper and really, and really focus on the, the strategic critical questions. I love this onion approach. And when you were talking about how someone might have a 150K salary, but that's only a, a portion of their total compensation, I think about people like my wife. So she's... Uh, she's an engineer for uh, Toyota Connected. And one of the amazing perks that she gets is they give her a monthly stipend that she can put towards a lease and they have a lease program for cars. So she essentially has a free car. But if you just looked at like her salary, that's not something that you would, I guess, immediately think of as part of her her total compensation. So I really like this, this, this onion approach and starting with the employee then giving managers the uh, the right information that they they need to have these conversations with employees, and then for HR, it's like if they can if they can focus less on answering these questions from from managers, they can focus more on on the strategic work, like we were talking about earlier in the conversation. So, um, yeah, I I feel like there's like some sort of graphic that can be created for this <laughs> on the topic of being more proactive. And thinking about like how companies can approach making pay increases across the organization. I know that traditionally it's it's like the squeaky wheel gets the grease and everybody else, they're sort of just waiting their, their turn. But what does a more proactive approach look like for an organization? Like, are there any, you know, key data points that, 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 that either managers or HR should be looking at across the entire company to see where there are red flags? Yeah, absolutely. And I've been in situations as well where I, I have someone on my team who's the, who's either the squeaky wheel and they, they complain every every quarter. And then when you when you dig in and look at their pay, you find out they're actually the highest paid person in their in their pay range and not knocking on them. So they don't maybe understand like where they sit in the pay range, where they're, you know, like how they're what their performance is, etc. So I think there's a lot of analytics and reporting we can provide to to kind of help answer those questions. And I'll give some examples, right? Knowing the the time when someone started, their tenure at the company, their last promotion, their last pay change, whether it's salary bonus or equity refresh, where they sit in the pay band, are they in the range? Are they above or below? How are they doing versus their peers? Like, um, is their equity near fully vested? Like if you have a four-year grant and you're a year three or year three and a half, like, yes, someone should maybe pay attention to that before the equity is vested, right? So it's, and then as an organization, you, you'll probably want to look at this by performance too. Like you want to look at top performers and how they're getting paid 
right? Like not everyone should get paid the same. Obviously, like performance is a key input. So being able to see where the top performers and how they're doing or pay by by geography too. If you have a, a paid differential by country or different regions in the US. Um, so those are the type of things we've also built out in Candor IQ where as an as a HR leader, as a department leader, as a manager, you can kind of go in and see this at the company level or at the department or team level. And we'll proactively not just make it easy for you to find this from information, but we try to proactively flag that information. So if you have a top performer who's fully vested or if, if someone's been in, in a role for two and a half year and hasn't had a pay change, we try to flag that for you using uh, AIML. I think earlier you, you mentioned that there's not like a uh, playbook that you can just roll out for every company that's going to work like universally, how every company has like a different pay strategy or different like philosophy. Um, and I'm curious, you know, I, I imagine you're, you're having a lot of conversations with HR leaders through the sales process or maybe with some of your clients. How have you seen, um, I guess, like, has there been a, a movement or a big change in how companies look at pay the last like five ish years since COVID hit? Or is it is it largely the same as it was uh, prior to COVID? Um, yeah, there's been so many changes. So if I if I'm riffing, some of the things that come to mind is over. I mean, like since the pandemic, people and companies have really moved to remote work, right, or even global work. So there's a lot of globalization and and remote work. Even at Kendra IQ, we have team members across the the U.S. Right, like you, we go seek the best talent wherever they may be. And there was a time where people didn't know what to do with that. People were had like seven to eight pay differentials, but actually like that pay is normalizing. Now we see on average like two to three different pay ranges in, in, in at least in the US, right? And then globally, there's a few tiers as well. So that, that's kind of one thing. Number two, we're seeing change in the, the type of benefits too. Like the now there's a lot more benefits like for, for you working remote. And, and it's kind of like the credit card where uh, now, now credit cards give you like Uber rides and, and Netflix or Disney subscriptions versus obscure benefits that no one actually uses, right? The same thing is having too. So uh, employers are really involved, evolving the pay and the types of pay and, and the, the incentive structure. So lots of change there. That's super interesting. And then going back to spotting potential red flags, it, it sounds like as a manager, if you have the data around when a direct report started or like when they last got a pay raise, it's easy to start to spot out like, okay, Steven hasn't got a pay raise in, in, in a year and he's almost fully vested. So like he might be leaving soon. Like that's, that's a churn risk right there. So I guess my question is for the companies that maybe can't afford a candor IQ right now, maybe it's an HR team of one and they have under 50 employees. And in those cases, I mean, every person is like putting in so much work and they want to be able to spot some of these things out. How would they go about getting all of this information into one place? Is this, I guess, historically, is this all done in spreadsheets? I guess is really the question. <laughs> Yeah, historically, it has been done in spreadsheets. I think that's what been one of the challenges. People are taking pay data and then creating ladders, levels, and bands, putting them in spreadsheets. Uh, it, in my some of my last companies, we had like 14 spreadsheets, one for every department. 
And then sometimes there's like user access permission control issues and someone will see something they shouldn't. That Those type of things can happen as well. So that's how it's largely been done. But with Candor IQ, you, you, we create a single hub for you to store your pay strategy in, in one single place, right? And to your question around like, how can someone you know, get a little bit more structured if you have a tighter budget, maybe two things I'll call out. One is, um, I mean, we've just launched a, a, a playbook this week uh, in tandem with this, with this podcast to help young companies and young startups understand pay and pay transparency. And, and we've made it as tactical as possible. How do you create your ladder and pay strategy in your ranges? So anyone can kind of take in and, 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 and use that. The ebook's free on our website on candoriq.com. And then like if if people are interested in in and doing a trial of the product and before they can figure out they have a budget, that's something we can uh provide as well. Love it. Love it. I there there's like so much. If I hadn't taken so much time earlier in my responses to uh when you flipped the script. You were on in this, the flow, I, Steven. I, I was, I dude. I didn't want to interrupt I, I, you. Those are good, yeah. I, I honestly think I need to go, I need to join other podcasts and talk because like I just got super fired up when uh, when going through that. But unfortunately, we don't have time to drill into it was where I'm going to some of the things that you were just sharing. And it's it's that time to turn the corner and bring the conversation to a close. But before we we fully do that, as you know, we have some questions uh, and a couple more traditions. And so um you ready to go through the, our rapid fire questions? Here Let's goes. do the rapid fire. Excellent. Excellent. Let's do this. So question number one, how do you define a modern people leader? What are the traits and characteristics? Um, yeah, that, that's a good one. Um, let's see. The things that come to mind are uh, multidisciplinary. So a modern people leader needs to kind of work with all the different business functions, whether it's finance or other departments and be able to speak that language. I think that that's really key. And number two that comes to mind is, you know, what we've been talking about is, is strategic, right? So uh, getting a seat at the table, some of it like people need to give and sometimes you need to kind of go and, and grab it, right? And and uh, I, I think it's it's a mindset and doing that is key. I love that. Yeah. Sometimes you just need to go out and grab it. That is uh, the hashtag truth. Uh, next question. If you could go back in time and talk to a 22-year-old you, what career advice would you give yourself and why? So going back in the time machine, I think, you know, I turned out okay, or uh, I think so. So but what I would tell myself is two things. One is grit and perseverance is is key. You can power through anything. Uh, and number two, really lean on the uh, on people. Lean on your people. Lean lean on your network. It's it's you know, uh, I've been successful in my career personally and professionally too. So, uh, because of the the people in my life, and so I think keep doing that. I love that the the last one in particular. It's like you can do this on your own, but it's better to do it with others and and sometimes easier to do it with others last question is there anything you believe to be true about the world of work but don't yet have the data to support yeah so many things but one, one that comes to mind is in the tech space at least employees have 
equity. So they're stakeholders in the business. So in addition to their pay, they have additional incentive for the business to succeed. I think that model of having a stake, whether it's equity or profits or other things, will permeate into other parts of the, the economy and other industries too. Uh, so that's that's my that's my hunch and hypothesis and uh curious to see that evolve over the next two three years yeah oh man i uh, sorry daniel no, no, I, I, I was I, gonna I, say that the, the book that steven's nerding out on uh jessica's want jessica's von i think she recently uh shared similar thoughts in fact yeah, I think and it was i was on our gonna... podcast yeah and I was just going to say, I thought you were going to uh, say something spicy about uh, benchmarking data and it not being as helpful as uh, companies rely <laughs> rely too much on benchmark data. But I guess we'll save that one for another conversation. Yeah, I can talk about benchmarking data too, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And so Harris, who, who do we need to bring on to the Modern People Leader next? You said that you've you've listened to the show for a while. Now you're part of the... MPL community and having been on the show, is there anybody out there that you've been you've been watching or following on LinkedIn uh, that you would love to hear us talk to? Yeah, so uh, I I think um, I'd nominate Darren and Faradi, who's the the head of people and talent at Kidum. And what I admire about him, I think, will be pretty relevant for other people leaders. He. He goes, gets it, as we've talked about, and he can speak the language of business. He can speak with finance. And, and because he does that well, he's able to then achieve the, the objectives he wants to as a people leader as well. So I think that would be a pretty great and spicy topic. We would love to have Darren on the show. And then for our final tradition, which is one word or phrase close. So whatever is popping into your mind right now, use that as your one word or phrase close. Who wants to who wants to go first? Not it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go I'll go first. Um yeah, I think uh giving is since it's a season of giving, I'll I'll bring that up. Um, you know, I'm trying to do more of that in my personal life, especially now, but also professionally. I'll call out if if any anyone is interested in learning about compensation and total rewards or wants to wants to jam uh with, with with me or or the team you know i'd be happy to connect with them and and just talk talk to things with them so uh giving is the one for me that's a great one and that's something that i've been trying to focus on more recently and just this past i guess like these past couple of weeks i've had a couple of calls where people are just trying to figure out like how do i start a podcast how do i monetize a podcast and it just feels so uh rewarding sharing all my learnings and and then seeing them try it as well. So uh, I love that one. And I'll go with 2024. Um, this mm -hmm. is the the final episode of 2023. And I am so excited for 2024. Oh my God, so am I. Uh, wow. I'm going to go with progress. I just, you know, hearing Harris, what, what you what you've shared with us today it is it's encouraging to hear uh and and reflecting on one of my one of the things that i think is uh a system that is improved but i think still has room for improvement with the tech stack just the fact that there are tools like kinder iq today that can help with 
the I, I have I can't I have literally worked over weekends generating the spreadsheets that we were talking about and but that was back in you know 2005 and I didn't I didn't realize that that is still where where we're at today but there there's a better way it's here and progress has happened and uh, you don't have to do it that old way anymore and so uh, that's that's encouraging. Well, guys, Whoa. this was a this was a great last meeting to have for me on on my Friday, and it's the, you know the day is still young. It's only eleven fifty two here in here in Austin, and I think you're in the Bay Area, right? So, uh, yeah. even a little bit earlier. But I mean, what a way to to spend our Friday! Thanks, thank you so much for for joining us. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Thank you guys for collaborating on this, and excited to get it get it out there. Yeah, awesome. thank you for. I, I just wanted to, I just want to give a quick shout out to the rest of the Candor IQ team, Van and Emma. I mean, y'all are a hungry team and um, I'm excited to see what y'all accomplish. And doing a lot of cool work. It's, yeah. it's needed. And so, yeah, thank you for joining us today, Harris. This is a lot of fun. And thanks for turning the tables on us as well. That was, uh, that was also fun. Yeah, I thought yeah, we thought maybe it'd be like interesting for for folks to kind of hear a little bit more about you too, and and uh, yeah, so that that was pretty fun for me too. And and generally, when I started the company about a year ago, and I was like, I just need to change from a my fintech product mindset what what I was doing before, and and kind of really go into into the people space. One of the things I did was. Uh, go into, you know, like find out the best podcasts. So like, I love podcasts because I, you know, drive, drop my kids and stuff like that. So, and like MPL, I I like, I I digested so many episodes and it it kind of really helped me like anchor. So generally it was, it was super valuable. So thank you. Thank you both for doing what you do. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Well, have a great rest of your day and I'm sure we'll connect soon. All right. Happy Friday and happy holidays. I know. Yeah. I'm sure we'll talk soon, right? This is going, is that going live next week? Is that, is that right? On the 18th? Something sure like that. is. Yeah. Monday. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. All right. Cool. All right. Thanks. All. Bye. Bye. Thanks for, for tuning into another episode of the modern people leader. We, we really, really appreciate it. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star rating. It would mean the world to us. And connect with us on LinkedIn. We wanna we wanna know what you think about the show. And uh, yeah, you can you can find links to both of our profiles in the show notes. So thanks again for listening, and and see you on the next episode.